Yeah, this was a good one. It was really good just to talk about some of the things that the experiences that we face um, as black women, black pregnant people. And then it was hard for me to talk about my own experience, but also I guess maybe like a catharsis. I don't know. If you're a crier, get your tissues. And then two, please excuse the leaf blowing sounds. We're having someone work on the gutters. You're going to hear that in and out, especially at the end. (laughs) Sorry about that. Hey, I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, and this is the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Welcome. I'm the Lady Parts Doctor, and I am so grateful and so thankful that you are joining me today to have another discussion of a health-related issue. Last week, we talked a little bit about things that you wish you knew about pregnancy and postpartum. There are so many things. I had a long list of things to address and I could only get through five because there are just so many things and there's so much to say about each of those individual things. So thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your stories. You know, I love when the dialogue is open and we're going back and forth. It's always great to hear your perspective and what you're thinking. So this week we are staying on the topic of pregnancy. Um, Man, this particular piece was just difficult for me to write. I started thinking it was going to go one way and it kind of took another path that I wasn't quite expecting. So, um, I hope you enjoy the discussion. I will tell you it's a little heavier, so I'll try to make sure that next week we talk about something a little lighter. This particular post is about birthing while black. And you know, I actually go into some trauma. So this is my trigger warning for anybody who is pregnant or who had a traumatic pregnancy or postpartum experience. This was, it was difficult for me to even do a read through with this without like tearing up or crying a little bit. So the topic is still really good. I don't want to scare you off and have you not wanting to listen. It's still a great um, topic to talk about. And I enjoyed writing it. I enjoyed speaking on it, but it's just an important discussion to have. So recently I saw a post on Instagram that made me pause for a moment. The post contained an edited and redacted version of a letter sent from the Will Cornell Medical or Medicine OBGYN faculty practice. And the letter stated, and I quote, we warmly welcome discussions regarding labor and delivery. This is my reading voice. Um, However, as your physicians, we feel that birth plans can be a detriment to our relationship. We feel that the use of birth plans frequently sets up unrealistic expectations and conditions for potential conflict. We are your caregivers, and we would like to use our knowledge and experience to act in the best interest of you and your baby, end quote. And I have many, many thoughts about these statements, thoughts and like red flags that pop up to for me. But first, I want to address the statement as I see it as a healthcare 
provider, right? From the healthcare provider's perspective. As an OBGYN, I understand the concern. I do. Often on labor and delivery, you are meeting patients for and their families for the very first time during an experience that is both monumental and life-changing, really. Your job is to familiarize yourself with their medical and pregnancy history, review their birth course thus fast, so basically everything that's happened since their labor started, and then ensure that they have a safe birth course resulting in a healthy mother and healthy baby. This includes labor, delivery, and postpartum. And you do all of this while trying to provide a positive experience overall. When you're covering an LND shift, a labor and delivery shift, and familiarizing yourself with the patients, it can be incredibly overwhelming to be handed additional information for review, okay? Like you're already swamped and then someone's like, here, read this. And reading multiple pages of a detailed birth plan can be daunting, especially if you're receiving multiple in one shift. I remember the discreet and sometimes not so discreet eye rolling that would occur when someone hands us a birth plan during residency, like as if we weren't busy enough. And don't let them have a doula now. Don't let them have a doula. And part of the reason for that frustration was that having, was what having a birth plan could signify about our upcoming interactions with said patient. While any patient can be resistant to recommended care, it seemed the patients with birth plans and doulas were overrepresented in that group, trying to convince a hesitant woman or pregnant person that they need a cesarean section when their baby's monitored status is not reassuring and they are far from delivering, it's draining. It is time consuming and it's a time consuming process that occurs when time is of the essence, right? We don't have forever to make these decisions sometimes. Wouldn't it be easier if they just did exactly what we asked? Hmm. As a pregnant woman, a black woman and pregnant person, and a patient, my perspective is totally different. Pregnancy is a time where you lose control and agency over your body, or at least full agency. Many changes occur without your input, and you are constantly making decisions and sacrifices of your body and time for the betterment of someone else, right? We do anything for our babies, anything for our kids. This is all the more reason pregnancy should be a choice, okay? Once you've done all the hard work in nurturing, nourishing, and carrying a baby to term, you want to continue that level of care and attention throughout the delivery process. You've done what's best up to this point, so why should delivery be any different, right? You know things might not go exactly as you imagined, but planning things out allows you to maintain just a little bit of control, just a little bit of control during this exciting and anxiety-provoking time. While a healthy mom and healthy baby are never a guaranteed outcome, we've known for some time that the likelihood of this outcome is less for some than others. In 1999, JAMA published data on state-specific maternal mortality in the U.S. for black and white women from 1987 to 1996, and this is from the CDC. They found that in every state, every state where the data could be calculated, maternal mortality was consistently higher for black women than white women from every pregnancy-related cause, including hemorrhage, gestational hypertension, which is high blood pressure during pregnancy, and embolism, which is blood clots. Fast forward 20 years, 
And not much has changed. The CDC reported that in 2020, the maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic Black women was 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. That's 2.9 times, basically three times, the rate for non-Hispanic white women. Their rate was 19.1. Dr. Shalon Irving had been an epidemiologist at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. A champion of the cause, her research focused on understanding how structural inequity, inequality, trauma, and violence make people sick. With her BA in sociology, her two master's degrees, and dual subject PhD, her excellent insurance, and a solid support system, she was ecstatic to become pregnant in 2016. However, Just three weeks postpartum, she collapsed and died from complications related to high blood pressure. She was 36 years old. Dr. Shanice Wallace was a pediatric chief resident in Indiana. That's a big deal. She and her husband were happily expecting to welcome their baby girl in November of 2020. However, Dr. Walker developed preeclampsia, which is another condition related to high blood pressure during pregnancy, and she delivered her baby prematurely. She died due to complications of preeclampsia just two days after delivery. Just last month, the husband of Ms. Kira Dixon-Johnson, a black woman who died in 2016 hours after childbirth, The husband sued Cedar sinai Medical Center, saying she bled to death because of a culture of racism at that facility. According to the husband, Charles Johnson IV, he discovered the disparity in care women of color receive at Cedars compared to white women during depositions in his wrongful death lawsuit. Despite signs that she was bleeding internally and pleas from her husband, Mr. Johnson, she was not readmitted to the operating room for reevaluation. She died just 12 hours, hours after delivery. A black surgical t- technician, surgical techs, what we call them, um, who had more than 30 years of experience, said she routinely witnessed different treatment of black women, but was afraid to speak up. Miss Johnson was 39 years old. Black mothers of all ages are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than their white peers. And these are peers, women who have the same level of education as them, women who have um, make the same amount of money as them, or at least have access to the same money as them. But why? Why is pregnancy more dangerous for black women and black pregnant people. Why are we more likely to die? These statistics cannot be explained by age or education, but the most glaring answer to this question is our blackness. It's racism. Addressing structural racism and its contributions to the aspects of social, political, economic, and healthcare systems that reinforce inequity will eliminate disparity and improve the care of all women and pregnant people. Structural racism contributes to the concentration of chronic conditions plaguing the black community and our limited access to care compared to our other communities. Structural racism explains the implicit bias in healthcare that allows healthcare providers to believe, to believe that black people experience less pain than white people. And it explains the finding that black newborns are more likely to survive 
when they are cared for by black doctors. It matters. And now, my own story. In 2019, my husband and I were incredibly happy to discover that we were expecting our second child. You know, we'd experienced a couple of miscarriages prior and just being able to grow our family was something that we really wanted. Let's see if I can get through this without tearing up. Knowing what I know as an OBGYN about childbirth in general and knowing the increased risk um, for black women, as we've discussed, you know, I was nervous. I was nervous. However, I was in the care of my friends and colleagues, which made me feel significantly better. And after an uncomplicated labor, I welcomed my second son through a vaginal birth after cesarean. We call it a VBAC. With my chest bare and ready for skin to skin, I felt at peace as he was placed in my arms. It's my baby. Moments later, however, things changed. As my colleague assessed my bleeding and began to repair a vaginal tear, she peered up from my legs to look at me. She said, Stephanie, you don't look so great. Are you okay? Um, I wasn't. I felt cold and I began to shiver. I was tired and all I wanted to do was sleep. I was having a postpartum hemorrhage. My son was quickly taken out of my arms And for the next two hours, I was just kind of in and out of it. I remember one of my beloved L&D nurses performing a sternal rub. So that's basically a hard rub on the vertical bone in the middle of your chest. And you do it to elicit a response from someone when they're not responding as much as you'd want or you think they're not responding at all. So she did that to me. And I remember the worried look on my husband's face as he quietly held our baby on the couch at our bedside. I remember people rushing in and out of the room. I remember blood being drawn. And there were many, many different faces. Faces I knew. And faces that looked like mine. Unfortunately, the bleeding stopped. I received two units of blood to help me recover what I lost. And um, I had a speedy, or at least somewhat speedy recovery. And just two days later, I was home. I was home safe. I was home safe with my husband, my son, and then our new baby. And now that I'm getting closer to my third delivery, you know, I think about it more often. This time I will be, I will not be in the care of my friends and colleagues, actually. This time I will be receiving care from physicians that don't know me. They're just gonna see my name and they'll see me as Stephanie Hack. They won't see me as Dr. Stephanie Hack, our colleague. And, you know, I'll be sure to inform them that I am also an OBGYN and that I know the standard of care. However, as the data has shown, that is not always enough. It's not always enough. You know, these women were doctors, at least, you know, two of them. These women were able to communicate and advocate and had a voice. So it's just not always enough. So how can I advocate for myself during pregnancy and postpartum. One thing that you can do is create a birth plan, right? It doesn't really matter if your OBGYN or your healthcare provider 
doesn't want to see it. What matters is that you are able to say, this is what I want, and that you are able to advocate for yourself. A birth plan allows you to make your desires known to the person providing your care. More importantly, it allows you to advocate for yourself and your needs before you've submitted yourself to the process of labor and delivery. And, you know, you might not be able to speak for yourself so clearly at that point. While every birth plan request cannot be honored, it starts an important conversation regarding your care. Two, stay informed. Read as much as you can, whenever you can, about what to expect during pregnancy and postpartum. Learn about the symptoms you may experience so you can have a sense of what's normal and what's not normal and when to seek help. Ask questions, that's three. As you learn more or discover more about your pregnant self, ask questions, make a list and check it twice. Bring it with you to every appointment to make sure you get answers. And this helps you just gain a better understanding of the entire process. If you have questions about what's coming up, ask questions about what's coming up. I had many a time where I sat with my patients in the office to talk to them about what to expect when they come to labor and delivery. And this might be questions that they had after they attended one of the birthing classes and pregnancy classes or prenatal classes or a question that they had after something that they watched or something that they read. But we made sure to address it and to discuss it so they just had a better understanding. And then four, bring an advocate. We can't always speak for ourselves. Bring someone that you trust to use your voice for you when you can't. So I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it wasn't too traumatic. You know, there is so much joy in motherhood. There is so much joy in black motherhood. And I promise I will spend some time talking about that more. Um, But just seeing this letter, I was like, we have to talk about this because I want you to advocate for yourself. I don't ever want you to feel like you shouldn't. Again, I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor. Don't forget to subscribe, subscribe to the blog, the podcast, the YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Let me know if you have any questions, stories, ideas you want to share by emailing me at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.